Well, that was wonderful, praise team. Thank you so very much. And uh, thank you very much, Courtney, for your excellent leadership this morning. I covet your prayers tonight as I'll be preaching twice at the Marquette Branch Prison. My dear friend Randy Gilbertson will be with me. Last time I was there, one of the inmates said, would you give an altar call here in the chapel? And so I'm thinking through that and how the Lord would want me to lead this evening. So I very much do covet your prayers. This morning I have a question I would like you to just think about as I put it on the screen, and and then in just a moment we'll get the answer that I think we all would like to give. But here is the question I'd like you to think about, true or false. The method of salvation in the Old Testament was exactly the same as in the New Testament. A junior higher once asked a question about this in Sunday school. Now that is very deep for a junior higher. That's a young person that's really thinking. Now suppose we said that in the Old Testament God accepted people by bringing animal sacrifices. Would that be true? Well, actually, what does the New Testament say Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4? It is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And then if we said, well, the Old Testament people were accepted by following the law of Moses, would that be any closer? Well, what does the Bible say? By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. So as we start to look at some potential answers we could give, what is the answer to this? The answer is true, isn't it? The answer is true. A personal relationship with God before Christ came was obtained the same way it is after Christ came. We could put it this way, salvation B.C. is the same as it is in salvation A.D. God accepts people only one way, period. Now, proof of that is found in two of the most important persons in all of the Old Testament, Abraham and David. Abraham, as you know, was the father of the Jews. He founded their racial identity, and he received the Abrahamic covenant. David was the greatest king of the Jews. He founded their royal family, and he received the Davidic covenant. How God accepted these two men is the way God accepts anyone. Would you not agree with that? Absolutely. And so in Romans 4, 1 to 16, the Apostle Paul selects these two very significant men as examples of God's Old Testament method of salvation. Now this morning, as we come to Romans chapter 4, and we begin a fresh chapter in our study of Romans, there are two things we want to see. Number one, we want to see three facts about Abraham and David. And then we want to see two very surprising conclusions. And so if you would, let's take our Bibles and open to Romans chapter 4. And let me just ask us to bow our hearts together for a moment as we ask the Lord to be our teacher by the presence of His Holy Spirit. Father, thank You so much for Your great plan of salvation. And thank You that what we enjoy 
in Jesus Christ was not an afterthought with you. But from the very beginning, you clearly taught how a person is accepted by you. And now on this side of the cross, we experience the wonder of it all. As we find all the answers are found in Jesus and what you have done through Him. Teach us now from these two servants of yours in the Old Testament. For Jesus' sake, Amen. Let's begin, shall we? Romans chapter 4, and I want to start reading the first two verses. If you'd like to take the chair Bible in front of you, it's the fifth book in your New Testament, and you follow along as I read from the English Standard Version. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Here's the first fact about Abraham. Abraham didn't earn God's acceptance by anything that he did. Now, when the Bible says in verse 1, what did Abraham gain? That word gain is an important word. It means to attain a state or condition that you have obtained for yourself. So the word gain here, Abraham, what did he gain? What did he attain as a state or a condition by himself. Now clearly, the Apostle Paul is talking about Abraham's justification, his acceptance by God. Do you know three times in the Bible, twice in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament, Abraham was called the friend of God? He is the only person in the entire Bible ever called the friend of God, and clearly then that means God accepted him or justified him. As we're going to see a little later in verse 6, David is mentioned. He's the only person in the Bible that was called a man after God's own heart. So look at this. Clearly Abraham and David teach us about justification, which is how God accepts us. Now for Abraham, it is very, very clear here that it was not according to works in verse 2. That expression refers to a deed, some sort of achievement or an action. Do you know this would have been totally shocking to the Jews in uh, Paul's day? Because they had been taught otherwise. If you were to look at Jewish literature, you would learn some surprising things that they believed about Abraham. For example, in the Talmud, which was the Jewish commentary on the Old Testament, it says, Abraham our father had performed the whole law before it was given. Uh, The book of Jubilees, written a hundred years before Christ, says this, Abraham was perfect in all his deeds. He was well-pleasing in righteousness. And another Jewish book, the prayer of Manasseh, says, O Lord, you have not appointed repentance unto Abraham. So you know what the Jews would have said? Abraham had something to boast about. He could get in heaven and brag. He could stand before the Lord and say, I deserve to be here. By the way, isn't it amazing how we romanticize our heroes? Isn't that amazing? Uh, Do you remember when you first realized that your parents were flawed? Remember that? Remember what a letdown that was? 
My parents are sinners, you know. Uh, I'll never forget one day when my, my niece was young. She said to me, she said, my mom knows everything. And I thought, boy, is she in for a big letdown, okay? And what the Apostle Paul says here about Abraham was a huge surprise to the Jews. Clearly, God was not impressed with Abraham. He fell far short because we are told in verse 2 that Abraham had nothing to boast about before God. On the screen this morning, I want to show you a famous painting about one of Abraham's biggest failures. This is a painting of Pharaoh giving back Sarah, Abraham's wife, to him. And you remember what happened. Abraham was feared for his safety, so he lied about his relationship to uh, his wife, Sarah. And Pharaoh brought her into his harem. How many times, by the way, did Abraham do this in his life? He did it twice. Twice. With another king, he did the same thing. And the Lord sent plagues on Pharaoh, and he said to the other man, You're a dead man if you don't restore this wife to this man. And both of these men were extremely upset with Abraham. Look at this sad scene. Here's a pagan king rebuking Abraham and saying to him, You should have never done Something like this. Well, you remember that Abraham also became impatient with God, didn't he? And he ended up having a child with the servant of his wife, Sarah, Hagar. And so I want to just say this, perfect in all his deeds. Not needing repentance. Far from it. Lies, looking out for himself instead of his wife, twice. Hurting others by deception. How many of you think Abraham had something to boast about? There's a little statement that C.S. Lewis made, and I think it's so so helpful at this point. Look what C.S. Lewis said. He said, no clever arrangement of bad eggs will make a good omelet. Come to my house for breakfast tomorrow. All we have is rotten eggs, but I'm so clever I can make a good omelet. No takers, right? See, there's no way. We can't be clever enough to offer our badness to God and somehow think it's going to be good in His sight. And Abraham was not accepted by anything he did. Look at the second truth about Abraham. Number two, Abraham was accepted by God as a gift through personal trust. Look at verse 3. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, what does the Apostle Paul do? Well, he appeals to what Scripture actually says about Abraham. How many think it's a good idea to just take a look at what does the Scripture actually say? Of course. And I want you to notice this very important verse that Paul quotes from Genesis 15, 6. Let's read it together. It's one of the most important verses in all of the entire Bible. Let's read it together. 
And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now, the reason this verse is so significant, it's the first time the word believe is found in the Bible. The very first time. God had appeared to Abraham and made three promises. I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I'm going to bless the whole world for through you. Now, Abraham had never known God before. He had no previous experience with God. He didn't even know where God was sending him. Yet, what does the Bible say? Abraham believed God and started out towards the promised land. And so, look what God did. He counted it to him for righteousness. That word count is a very important word. It occurs 11 times in Romans chapter 4. You can count them up as you read through the chapter. And here's what count means. It means to credit something for someone. To credit something for someone. Now, all of us today, probably, in our wallets or our purses, have a credit card. Credit cards give us something that we do not have ourselves. Credit cards give us money that we don't have yet, based on the promise that we will pay back that money when we get it. Now, listen to then what the Bible is saying about Abraham. God gave Abraham a righteous standing with himself, which Abraham did not possess on his own. And I want you to notice what's true of Abraham is also true of everyone else. Look at verses 4 and 5. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to those who do not work, but believe in Him who justifies the ungodly as Abraham was, his faith is counted as righteousness. Do you know right here in these two verses we learn what faith is? This is very, so very important. Faith is believing the promise of God, And then committing ourselves to him by personal trust. Abraham believed the promise that God made to him. And then he personally trusted God based on that promise. And because of that personal trust, God accepted Abraham and he gave him a righteous standing with him. Now the only difference between you and me is the content of the promise. To us, here's what God says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And notice the same two elements, believe, believe. Accept the promise that through Jesus' death and resurrection, sins have been paid for and salvation is made possible. And then believe on, believe on. Make an actual commitment, personally trusting Christ to save us. So notice the very same two elements are involved in faith. Faith is believing the promise about Christ, and then personally trusting in Christ. When we do, 
the Bible says God accepts us. He gives us a righteous standing that Christ has purchased for us. You remember that free car I told you about last week? I thought about showing it again this week, but I figured you'd had enough of that. So uh, I just wanted to mention something I left out last week. When the fellow, a friend of mine, uh, gave me the car, this is what I said to him. I said, you know what, how about if we do this? Let's make this legal officially, and I'll just give you one dollar, and therefore it will be official, and you can write on the title that you sold it to me for one dollar. So he took the dollar from me, and he wrote on the title, one dollar, and then guess what he did? He gave me the dollar back. Now, what was he saying? Yeah, he was saying there's only one way. You're not going to pay me for it. You accept it freely because there's no other way. And now what we're learning here is it's the same with God. If we could earn His acceptance, then grace would be eliminated. But if grace is eliminated, we do not have enough righteousness to pay our way into His acceptance. So, it is either by grace as a gift, or we get nothing. We get nothing. And the whole Bible teaches this same method that God uses to accept people. Now here we are in Genesis 15, and this is the way that Abraham was accepted. How about if we go all the way to the end of the Bible, the very last chapter, Revelation 22, and I want you to notice that you go all the way to the end of the Bible, and it's the same way. Look at Revelation 22:17. Let's read it together. Come, whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, God's method of acceptance is always the same. Well, now let's take a look at David. As I mentioned to you earlier, David is the only man in the Bible who is said to have a heart like God's. He was the greatest king. He founded Israel's royal family, and he received the Davidic covenant. Notice what is said about David, number three. David was accepted by God in the very same way, and something else is added. He was completely forgiven. Look at verse 6. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now this is a quotation from Psalm 32. 1 and 2. And you remember David wrote two great psalms confessing his great sins, Psalm 51 
And then this psalm, Psalm 32. Let me just read it for you again, this time from the uh, Old Testament Psalms that David quotes, or Paul quotes both verses. Look at it. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord, what's the word? Counts no iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. Do you see the word count again? Credit something for someone that they don't have themselves. This word is found strategically in the whole Bible. Now you know that David wrote this psalm after he was confronted by Nathan the prophet for his three great sins. Here is another famous painting of Nathan confronting David with his great sins. Do you remember what David did? He committed adultery. He murdered the husband of the woman he did this with and he covered it up so no one would know. And finally, about a year later, Nathan the prophet shows up, points his finger at him, says, you're the man. You're the man. Do you know in the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament law made no provision for premeditated sins like David's? In Psalm 51, verse 16, he said, Lord, you do not delight in sacrifices, otherwise I would bring them. God prescribed the death penalty for David. Instead, when David said, I have sinned, in response to Nathan's condemnation of him, God forgave him. Now, listen to what this says. Because David was a believer, he had been accepted by God on the basis of his faith and given a righteous standing with God. Therefore, when he sinned and confessed the sin... God simply forgave him. Do you know this is the negative side of what the Bible describes as justification? Abraham illustrates the positive side of God's justifying acceptance. God positively bestows the righteousness of Christ as a standing upon us when we believe in Jesus. But David illustrates the negative side. God cancels and puts away the sin that we have committed. Do you know both are involved? When God accepts us on the basis of what His Son has done, and through our faith, positively He says, I'm crediting Christ's righteousness to your account, though you are unrighteous. And negatively He says, I am canceling all of your sin, I am putting it away, and I'm giving you a perfect standing with me, though you yet remain imperfect and a sinner. Think about this. Though David sinned greatly, and he was disciplined for his sin, his status with God never changed because he had been justified by faith. What an incredible thing that is. If you are a believer this morning, if I am, when I sin, 
The consequences of that sin may affect my life. God may discipline me as a believer because He wants me to be holy and righteous. But my status with Him never changes. Because I didn't earn that status, it was given to me by my trust in Christ. What an incredible thing this is. Well now, this leads us to two very surprising conclusions this morning. And to be quite honest with you, they are just surprising to me, even as I share them with you this morning. All right? Here's the first one. Number one. Abraham was a Gentile when God accepted him by faith. Does that blow your mind? Abraham was actually a Gentile when God accepted him by faith. Look at verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised that is the Jews, or also for the uncircumcised, that is the Gentiles. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. These verses ask a simple question. Did God accept Abraham before he was circumcised or after? Well, you know your Bible history. Abraham believed in Genesis 15 He was not circumcised until Genesis 17. In fact, Abraham didn't become the father of the Jews until many years later when Isaac was born. What this means is, when God accepted Abraham through his trust, Abraham was a Gentile. Does that blow our minds this morning? And then here's the second Surprising conclusion. Number two. Abraham is your spiritual father if you personally trust in Jesus. Look at verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, that is the Jews, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of how many of us? All of us. 
How many think it would be wonderful if you could have Abraham in your family tree? Wouldn't that be something to kind of be a little perked about? Hey, I have Abraham in my family tree. And immediately we say, well, wait a minute, that can't happen. In order to have Abraham in your family tree, you have to be Jewish. Hey, God is full of surprises, isn't He? He's full of surprises. Because what He says is if we share the faith of Abraham, then He becomes our spiritual father. We all know that fathers start something, they begin something. Why is George Washington the father of our nation? Because he was our first military general who led us in the battle that enabled us to be free in a nation. Therefore, he helped found our country. Therefore, we call him the father of America. And Abraham began the the family of faith. He began the family of all those who personally trust in a personal Savior. And therefore, when we trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, He becomes our spiritual Father. Wouldn't you like to be part of a family like that, wouldn't you? That's what God offers. That's what God offers. Somebody who enjoyed this immensely was Martin Luther, the great beginner of the Reformation. There's a story from Luther's life in which one day the devil approached him to show him What a bad man he really was. And so what the devil did was he presented him with a long list of the sins of which Luther was guilty. You know what Luther said in this encounter that uh, has been written about that he felt with the devil? Luther said this to the devil, think a little harder, you must have forgotten some. So you know what the devil did? He added some more. And then Luther said, that's fine. Now I want you to write on that red, on that list in red ink, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. And there was nothing the devil could say to that, so he left. What is God saying to you and me? Satan will have nothing to say to you and me in terms of condemnation if we personally trust in a personal Savior. And that's always and only the way God accepts us. And all God's people said together this morning, Amen. Let's bow together in prayer.
Just before we sing together and we close our service this morning, I really have just one simple question. Is Abraham your spiritual father? Are you in the family of all of those who have been accepted on the basis of your personal trust in a personal Savior? Can you say without a a doubt, Pastor, I know that I've been accepted not because of anything I've done, but because by my faith in Jesus, God has credited me with His righteousness. He has written down on the ledger in heaven, righteous, based upon what Jesus has done. And then I know He has also canceled every sin I've ever committed, every sin I ever will commit. And I have been justified because I've trusted in Jesus' perfect death and resurrection. Never get tired of giving you the opportunity to do that. I was raised in church, but there was a time in my life as a, as a teenager that I was unsure about these matters. And I so desperately wanted to be sure, and I was grateful for a church that constantly helped me to know how I could be sure. And what I want to say to you today is you can come now and cast yourself on the mercy of Christ. You can say, Lord, I'm like Abraham. I don't have a perfect righteousness. I don't have anything I can boast about. I'm a sinner. But I believe what you have done so that I could be accepted. I believe you sent your son. I believe he died and rose again. And right now in your heart, you can say, Lord, I'm just turning from my own selfish way. I'm turning from the way that I have lived. And I'm turning to Jesus. You say, Lord Jesus, save me. Forgive me. Make me a child of God. Give me the life that you rose again that I could have. Say, Lord, justify me. Accept me. Put Christ's righteousness on my account and my sin on His account. And cancel and put away all the wrongs that I've done. And then say, Lord, because You respond to the person who trusts in You, I will now love You and follow You and live for You. God helping me with all of my heart. Lord, this is such a wonderful section in Scripture because it causes us to clarify the main message of our church. And we wouldn't want anyone in the sound of our ministry to somehow think that they could ever be good enough to achieve a right standing with You. No matter how mature we may ever become in Christ, no matter how many good deeds we may do, no matter how much better our lives may become, they still are woefully inadequate. 
And it's only because we have a Savior that we will ever be accepted by You. And thank You, Lord, that that status doesn't change. Our walk with You does change. It goes up and down. And sometimes we pay the consequences for our sins. Other times, Lord, You have to discipline us because You want us to be holy and righteous. But Lord, our acceptance with You never wavers. It never changes. It's always the same. And we love You. We love You because You have first loved us. Help anyone today in our services in the sound of this message who is unclear about these matters, is unsure about them, who hasn't put them together. Help them, Lord, to come to that place where they might find peace and acceptance and salvation at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful message. How we thank You and never tire of seeing it from Your Word. For Jesus' sake, Amen.